0: good, good. Holy Spirit didn't stir up anything in your life. That's amazing. As for me, I went right right to bed when I got back to the hotel. It was just wonderful being with you. Uh, Holy Spirit is with us. I'd done my job and I was tired. And I woke up raring to go. Um, Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Again, we acknowledge that you're the very Spirit of Jesus, that you are amongst us, and you dwell within us, and just your being here is just an amazing thing. However, we respectfully put a demand on you. said, Lord, would you do what only you can do? Would you lead us into truth in a way that transforms? Amaze us with the simplicity of, of how you take us from where we were uh, uh, to where we're going. Lord, would you reveal the power of Jesus to our lives in such a way that uh, we'll know that we know that some of the old stuff, it's old and it's not present, and we're not going to take it into our future. Do this, God, for our sakes. (coughs) Do this, O oh God, for the sakes of the people we say we love. And do this for the sake of your name that we carry with us wherever we go. Amen. You know, years ago, you know, because I do a lot of public speaking, and I'm not much into rituals, you know, or, or, or forms or formulas, but I stumbled upon that prayer about if I want to do a prayer, God, what would be the best kind of prayer? And it just occurred to me, like, wow, the Holy Spirit is not only amongst us, but for those of us who say he's in us, I mean, that's that's a good day at the office, you know? Um, The greater one dwells within us. And then whatever God wants to do, he he does it for three reasons. For our sake. Just because he likes us. The other reason is our sphere of influence. That a lot of people we say we love. And one of the best ways we can show that we love other people is by obeying God. That's in first John. And then it was no matter what, wherever we go, where we go home, work and all, we carry the name of Jesus. And actually it takes a little more of Jesus for me to do that well than it is to do church well, you know? And man, I just and, and that's just a personal prayer, and I figured, that's that's what I do in public things. People go, "Oh, there you are with that same old prayer." And I just well, over the years, I have learned to be southern. I just smile and go, "Bless your heart." <laughs> now, yeah, uh, I was raised in New Jersey. When I came down to graduate school in the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, um, it was my first. During my first week, I can't remember which day, maybe it was the first or second day, but I'm walking down the main college uh, campus um, uh, avenue. I'm just walking, and people are just looking at me going, hey. And I just walk, and then, hey. You know, and, you know in, New Jer- in New Jersey, people don't actually look at each other. And if someone says, hey, they want something from you but I'm going so finally there's this actually very beautiful southern Belle who went hey and uh so I said this is my excuse me ma'am but you he said hey what are you talking about you know what's going on and she she goes oh bless your heart <laughs> you're not from around here yeah Anyway, and from there I realized that bless your heart is really not the nicest thing you can say to someone. <laughs> really, all these people go, bless your heart, bless your heart. I go, are wow, these southern people are so nice. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. Okay, Here's what we did yesterday, last night. The, the main thing is we allowed the Holy Spirit to identify strongholds. Areas in our lives that, so long as we let them remain untouched, they will have a limiting impact on our lives, our ministries, and our influence. And you know, we, you know, God can do anything, but He didn't do everything last night. He just, and that's okay. But what we did do is we surrendered those territories. We surrendered those those, those strongholds. And said God. These areas here I surrender them to. Please forgive me. We just got the ball rolling. (coughs) Those three areas again uh, just basic strongholds of um, (coughs) excuse me I have a problem in my throat. (coughs) There's idolatry and especially in the area of self-centeredness. Even our Have you ever noticed that sometimes our Christianity can become an idol? We can actually think we're doing better than the next guy. You know, I'm doing good. You know, God loves me more and all that. There's something about things that actually replace or compete with the real Jesus. Um, In America, we live in 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 an environment where we like to have the balanced life. We have a file, a portfolio with jesus in it and then church and then we got our business and then we got our family and then we got our fun and then we got the sort of like the i can do whatever i want file and we think if we have all these files and the jesus file we're doing good except jesus wants all the files and all these it's not so much the other files are bad but our relationship to them competes with how we relate to jesus okay Anyway, so there's idolatry, and that would include false religions, uh, sexual sin, enough said. Um, You know, of all the things that God's really clear on, he's probably one of the clearest in the area of sexual sin. It's like, if you're married, have at it. Go. I mean, have fun, enjoy it. The marriage bed is undefiled, all right? Anybody, anything outside that? That's a no-go zone. It's just a no-go. And it, he does it for our own good. So when things happen to us that violate the no-go zone or when we engage in things intentionally or unintentionally, sometimes we're clueless, um, it still has an impact on our lives. The enemy may very well have started something in our lives and it started a virus. So what we want to do is let the Holy Spirit show us those things, not so we can be ashamed, but so we can surrender, them, be forgiven, and be delivered from those things. And then unforgiveness, and that, of all the three, the unforgiveness is probably the most prevalent. Why, especially amongst Christians, we know that un- unforgiveness is a bad thing. We know that, and somehow, some way, we end up managing our unforgiveness instead of letting God deal with it. You know, where you go, oh, great brother, yeah, he did this, but I, praise God, I've, I've forgiven him. But it's really forgiveness, in theory, and at a distance. If you get too close to him, all of a sudden you just went, oh, I remember what you did, and I want to hurt you. You know, there, there's stuff like that. So we want to, what we did is we surrendered those basic areas. Now God's going to start filling in the details. You know, when you give God a territory and you just sign over the ownership papers of that territory, then God takes us seriously and he goes, Okay, how about here? How about here? He doesn't do everything all at once. Because I'm telling you, if, if he does everything all at once, you'll be in heaven. Sanctification only happens this side of heaven. Okay? Anyway... So we're going to talk today, first off, about curses. Now the subject of curses and blessings—it's uh, for some, it's controversial. There's, you know, um, if we read through the Bible, it depends on what translation. But the term "curse" is used about 230 times in the Bible, and the word "blessing" is used about, give or take a few, 410 times. And then this doesn't count the the number of times when a curse or a blessing is spoken. I mean, in in the Bible, there's a lot of, and may the Lord, and then fill in the blank. Whatever follows is either going to be a blessing or it's going to be a curse. At the very beginning, many people will say, you know, I know we need to be healed, I know we have to tear down strongholds, but we don't have to be set free from curses. And, and here's the reason. Well, Jesus was a curse for us. He took the curse for us. There, 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 we're, we, we no longer have curses operating in our lives because of what Jesus did. And I want to dispel that idea with just a little bit of theology. Okay? Well, we've been doing a lot of theology, but it, I've been sneaking it in. Um, We all know that Jesus died for everybody's sins, right? Jesus died, not only died for everybody's sins, but he made actual provision for the forgiveness of all sins, of all people across all time, right? Does that mean we don't sin? Does that mean we don't need forgiveness? No, okay? What Jesus did... He, he provided incredible provision for all people. The issue is whether or not we will access and experience that provision. In exactly the same way. Jesus became a curse for us. He took the concert, He did all that. He made incredible provision for us. Do we still do things, operate under curses? Yes. The key is to realize that Jesus has made provision, and all we have to do is know God's way to access it. And then we're set free. And the cool thing is this access is not some weird secret thing that's available only to those who are super spiritual. So I just wanted to get that theology out of the way so you can actually receive what God has. We all know this. There are actually two... Equally real realms. One's the natural, the other one's spiritual. This is real. And then the unseen spiritual world, that's real. Again, theologically, this is very important. There are people who say, look, the only real, real is the spiritual. And that, that our flesh and all that, it's just sort of, you know, it's all real. Okay? And there's a battle within those realms. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You know, there are times I wish that wasn't in there. Because there's some people who really tick me off. And I really want it to be the case that, look, my struggle is against you. It really is. And if we can just settle it my way, i would be happy. But no matter what, no matter what, whatever the actual struggle is, foundationally, it's a spiritual battle. It's not against uh, flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What this means is, look, there's, there's the devil, there's the enemy, but most importantly, there is the world system. There's a way of thinking that is absolutely contrary to kingdom thinking. You know, the the kingdom says pride and going for it. That's a great value. Where in the kingdom, you know, he values uh, perseverance, but he really, really values humility. Letting the other guy go for all that sort of stuff. That the, the kingdom of God is so different than the kingdom of darkness. And the enemy does whatever he can to get our flesh to learn as much as it can about the world. So you got these two kingdoms sort of fighting it out. There are certain laws that govern the spiritual realm. And these are laws, these are not principles, they're not suggestions. These are just this is how things operate. Have you ever well, I don't want to see your hands, but have you ever been driving and police officer pulls you over and he and you go and he goes, Do you know how fast you were driving? And you're honest, and you go, no. Does that mean you're not speeding? No. And many times he'll just smile at you and go, well, bless your heart, here's a ticket. (laughs) That's what he'll do. That's what he'll do, right? That even we might be ignorant of the spiritual laws that are operating, but they operate, okay? We can, unintentionally or intentionally, we can enter into binding agreements which produce certain fruit in our lives. Listen, have you ever noticed that some people who are not Christians, that they're living a pretty good life because they're actually operating according to kingdom principles. Very generous, very kind. I mean, what goes around comes around. What you sow, you shall reap and all that. And they sort of know that, but they just don't believe in God, right? And that's just how they are. Those things actually work. That when you're generous, things come back at you. And yeah, especially if you're not, especially if you're generous because you want to help people, not generous so that you can get more stuff. So there, so there are things, and we can find out what principles, what laws we are actually operating in. Not by what we say, but by looking at the fruit of our life. That yeah, you could have a history of absolutely crazy, insane relationships. Where, where, like, Jerry Springer has got nothing. Uh, you know, I, 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 can't believe, I can't believe you laughed. That means you, you've watched Jerry Springer. No, no but I mean, it's just really, really crazy stuff. And, you know, oh, I believe in God, hallelujah, you go to church. Okay, but wh- how you live, the evidence of what principles you're embracing is in your life, okay? And you don't say that to condemn someone, just so we can see. Some of these principles that we 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 engage in, some of these laws that we're embracing, produce what I'm going to call curses, what the Bible calls curses. These are things that function as like a lid, an invisible lid, or a barrier to your life. You just like three steps forward, eight steps back. What's going on? And God wants to set us free from those lids. I'm going to read Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now, here's what's funny. Some people go, oh, there you go, going in the Old Testament. I'm going, I'm going to the Old Testament, mainly because the you know, New Testament talks a lot about the Old Testament. That's one. And if, if you like what you see in the Old Testament, you're really going to like what you're going to see in the New Testament. But there's enough in common. I want you to see this. I, I am not a name it, claim it, prosperity guy i'm just not um because there's no room for there's no room for righteous suffering in a prosperity gospel anyway in deuteronomy 28 it says this if you fully obey the lord your god and follow all his commands that i give you today the lord your god will set you on high above all the nations on earth all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the lord your god You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and you'll be blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant you that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. That means you're going to have battles. It's just that... It's God's plan that you win. Anyway, the Lord will send you a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land He is giving you. The Lord will establish you as His holy people, as He promised you on oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to Him. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations but borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord, your God, that I give you this day, and carefully follow them, then you'll always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. That's like really incredible promises. It doesn't, doesn't say you won't have battles. It doesn't, doesn't say that you won't have downtimes, But if you look at your life, there will be a fruitfulness that comes not with getting it right, but simple obedience. Just simple obedience. Obedience. And you know, in the New Testament, didn't Jesus sort of reduce it to loving people and loving God, where loving God was just do what he says? I mean, he takes all those rules and regulations and he just simplifies them. Anyway, the blessings include the following. Exaltation, meaning you get honored. I mean, you know, there are times when we we, we we get hurt sometimes, we get humiliated, and that's just part of living, that's part of following God. But over time there's an honoring that comes to someone who follows God. It's just what, the strangest thing. And health. Now, again, don't I'm not gonna I'm not into this divine health all the time that if you're sick it's because you're just not believing God. Have you ever met people like that? Yeah. You know, yeah, you know, man, can I pray for you? You're sick? I'm not sick. The stuff coming out of your nose has made your shoes disgusting. Of course you're sick. No, I'm not believing that I'm sick. You can't believe in healing unless you believe in sickness. I mean, you can't. My sister was like that. I go, sweetheart, I love you, but you have a bad cold. You need to rest, take vitamin C, and we will pray for you that the Lord would heal. But face it, you're sick. Okay, um, She finally did what I told her to do. Anyway, uh, reprodu- reproductivity. And reproductivity isn't just in the natural. The, you know, There's part of, of being a Christian that there's a, a fruitfulness. And I think for the best kind of fruitfulness for, for a kingdom person is disciples. I know a lot of people, they, they're righteous, they, they follow God, they're really good, but they haven't reproduced. And I always wonder why. You know, like, were they not taught? Or? But one of the greatest things that God has given us is the Great Commission, where our job is to live in such a way that we are fruitful, that we reproduce. And that's a promise. It's not just our job. It's a promise that if we follow God's ways, we'll be reproductive. And there will be a measure of prosperity. I mean, our needs will be met. I bet you everyone here has got these testimonies like, man, we had nothing and then some. And then God came through. It was amazing. God is a great provider. And then victory. Again, spiritual warfare is part of what it is to be a Christian. You're going to have battles. The idea that when you get born again, you, know, you come into this little nursery and you're nurtured until you're strong enough to fight battles. Oh, please. You get born again, you are dropped into a war zone. I mean, from the get. And God says, as we follow him, we will have some battles. We, may get, we get, may get nicked here and there, but in the end, we win, and the enemy loses. And there's something about God's favor. It's hard to quantify this, but God's favor is something. Have you ever seen two people equally qualified? And simply because God puts his favor on one, they get promoted. Some of you may have had that experience where you go, oh man, I'm not going to make it because so-and-so, he's been here longer, or so-and-so, you know, he's, he's sort of like the brother-in-law, the boss, or something like that. And you, you go, and all of a sudden, boom, you get the phone call, you've been promoted, and you go, the favor of God. I mean, just God does it. all right? Now, we'd like to live that way. But then, sometimes it doesn't happen, or we, over time, we realize that the fruit in our life, doesn't look like some of the promises of God. Again, and I'm sharing this not to say, hey man, you got bad fruit in your life, it's really bad being you. I can't believe you're... No, this is is where we can actually see where we are and the areas where we're not nearly as fruitful or as free as we believe we need to be, that's where we interact with God. That's where we let God do some really cool things. Now, curses are a different thing. These lids, no matter what you do, no matter what you do, you find yourself being humiliated. I just, I just know people who live with the expectation that no matter what they do, they will eventually be humiliated and rejected. They live with that expectation. Barrenness. Now, again, you know, some people, you know, they, they haven't been able to have children. Um, but I'm also talking about spiritual barrenness. I know, I know people, they have this idea, they, they want to have disciples, but every time they try to disciple some, someone, the people they're discipling, they just run. Why is that? You know, they, or they get mad. It's just not working. You teach and teach and teach, nobody's getting it, and you start noticing, gosh, I don't have nearly the kind of a fruitfulness that I want or I expect. Uh, if there's a history, if you look, um, mental or physical breakdowns, or family breakdowns. And I think many times, I, I make fun of Jerry Springer, but Jerry Springer is really sort of like a prophetic sign. For those of you who don't know what Jerry Springer is, don't watch it, okay? But it's the craziest thing, and it's real. This, you know, it, it's hyped, but it's real. Absolutely dysfunctional families. I mean, the most weird things, but this happens all the time, and it's more and more and more and more becoming the norm. That people, you know, people are no longer going. Man, I wish I had a mom and dad who loved each other and all. They, they don't even think like that. They're sitting there going, "Well, of the three daddies and the four mamas I got, you know, we have really great Christmases." You know, <laughs> all the presents from. And you go, know, "Wait a second, your frame of reference is completely gone." You can, you live your life with the expectation. And realization of failure and defeat. You go forward, but you know you're going to lose. You're always walking around oppressed. Poverty is a norm. I I, I could just go on and on about God provides for his children. Go to countries that are dedicated to a whole bunch of idols. Go to places in India and look at the people. And they got all these idols. Go, go to some places in, in, in China. In, go to North Korea. I, I wouldn't actually recommend it, but you know what I'm saying. And utter poverty. And you just go, so whatever God, you're, how's it working for you? you know, you're, you're following something other than Jesus. Look at the fruit in your garden. And then there's God's disfavor. God always loves us. But have you, ever, have you ever just sort of known that you're, you're bumping up against God? That you, you keep on trying stuff, and you you do all that you know, but you're not getting God's favor on something, and it just never seems to work. Sometimes it's just the discipline of the Lord. You know, there are people who go, man, I just want to get married, I just want to get married, I just want to get married, I love marriage, right? And then they keep on trying to go after this guy. No, he turns out to be a loser, oh, another loser. And then the lady's sitting there going, "Oh well, these are real losers. I'll just go sort to of get like mediocre losers." You know, they lower. And it's like nothing works, nothing works, nothing works. And it's just really God saying, "Look, I'm going to be your daddy, and as long as you let me, I'm going to get in the middle of stuff that's just going to eat your lunch." All right. But there are other times where have you just sort of known the guy's not behind you on this. He loves you. He's with you. But he's not helping. You don't have the favor of God on your life. There are roughly eight symptoms or patterns of a curse. Usually more than one are present. And I want to be careful. Just because you have these things doesn't necessarily mean that there's a curse. But we just want to be thorough. If you look at your life and the, like your family history, do you see a history of mental or emotional breakdowns? Is it, you know, um, oh man, I struggle with depression. My mom struggled with depression. My, great, my grandma struggled with depression. My great-grandma, as a matter of fact, my great-great-great-grandma, she invented the name depression for how I feel. I mean, and you start going, wait a second. This, this is a pattern here. Repeated or her hereditary sickness. Well, you know, my, I'm feeling sort of a bummer. It's my 42nd birthday. Why are you bummed? Well, my dad died when he was 43. And my grandfather died when he was 43. And my great-grandfather died when he was 43. i got one more year left. I mean, that, that's actually a true conversation I had with someone. They said, i man. And I'm going, don't you see that maybe, maybe... You know, it could be possible that look you're slated to go to be with jesus at age 43 but until he tells you that you know maybe there is this curse operating over your family line barrenness or miscarriages and this is true not only in the natural but in the in the supernatural if and the, by the way this this can be true of churches i know churches that, that Everything's great. They love good worship, they love, they eat, they do all this, they're devout and all that. But there's no fruit. Every time there's an attempt to do outreach, it's like there's miscarriages every time. And it, there's no traction. you go, "Wait a second, we're doing all that we know to do. There's, there's a lid here. What's going on? You try really hard. Well, maybe, maybe there's something operating. It doesn't make the congregation bad, but maybe there's a, a lid that was introduced or something that needs to be addressed so that God can release you from the lid so you can move on to fruitfulness. Oh, I heard a couple. Mm -hmm. You're talking about that church down the street. I know. Anyway, if you look at your life and and like your family history and you see a history of alienation and separation in families, um, and I am not saying anything negative about how many people have to heroically make up for the foolishness and stupidity of other people. But, you know, there, there are families where the idea of Daddy being the leader is not a good idea. Because you know how some guys are. And so you've got all, all these ladies, they're, doing, they're being Mama, they're being Daddy, they're being everything. And, you know, they're, they're, they're not only taking care of their own kids, but they're taking care of other kids, they're taking, you know, all this sort of stuff. And the, the heroism that people, you know, show during, a, it's just amazing. However, you go, this is not God's plan. This is not how God would like, uh, that somehow God's given grace to people to, to manage through some, some, some chaos. But wait a second, this isn't God's plan. Where's daddy? You know, where, where's all this sort of, st- you know? And if, if you look at your life or the life of your family and there's a history of divorce, a history of alienation, a, hi- a history of ladies being faithful and guys going out dogging it. I mean, just doing all that sort of stuff. Guess what? There's probably a lid. There's some sort of curse operator. doesn't mean that we curse people, but we just notice there are certain spiritual laws. Um, continual poverty. I know what it's like not to have two nickels to rub together. I mean, really, it's been... I, I've known some tough times. But when people's whole life is defined by not having enough, their whole life. Now, meanwhile, God said, look, I, I, I'm Jehovah Jireh. I'm your provider. And they can't make it at all. This is sort of funny, but accident-prone? I'm, you know these you know pe- you'll see this in a minute. You know people who you know, they trip and fall and they break their wrist and you know while they're laying there go, oh, there I am again, clumsy again. Right? It's just really weird. Some of the things that we say about ourselves, oh, there I am being stupid again. Oh, there I am being clumsy again. Actually, or you know, my dad was right, I'm just a clumsy person. Sometimes being accident-prone can be evidence of what someone has said over your life. You'll see that in a couple minutes. But, um, if you have a family history of suicide or unnatural death, I mean, I'm not saying com- you know complete history, because if everybody in your past you know committed suicide and had an unnatural death, you probably wouldn't be here to talk about it, right? But some of you got that. Anyway. Um, but if I mean, really, you just go. Wow, my uncle, he killed himself. My 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 daddy, he killed himself. And and you start going, wait a second, this, you know, maybe once in a family line those things happen. But when you see half dozen, you go something something may be operating. There are a lot. Look, there are a lot of people. You know, I minister to them, counsel, and you know they struggle with suicidal thoughts. And I, and I I'll ask the question, have you ever known anybody? Well, yeah. And so somehow, someway, the idea that suicide is a way out may have been passed on. Repeated life-dominating sins. Many of you, hopefully, know who JFK was, He was a president. And the Kennedy clan is often, even by secular people, say they're cursed. Because JFK, he was assassinated. Robert, he was assassinated. Ted Kennedy, had all these problems. And the sons, just mess after mess after mess. Very, very prominent, very, very passionate, very, very effective as leaders in their own right. However, they just met horrible. And you start looking back. There's a guy named Joseph P. Kennedy. He was the patriarch of this whole thing. And back in the, those days, to be a real man, you had to have a lot of money, have a good wife, great kids, a lot of women. And he promoted that lifestyle. He taught his boys how to live that lifestyle. Just imagine whether that's like, son, here, come. I'm going to take you to a high-class brothel, okay? I mean, that's what he would do. And so his boys ended up living out that thing that their dad started, and each of them met. So you you just see that there's a history of life-dominating sins that produce, you know. And we see things like that today. There's some really good men but they keep on going, well, honey, I really love you, but I need that other kind of woman. Or just all that sort of stuff. Or, you know, every time I get angry, I really need to bust you. You know, sorry, because that's what my dad did, and that's what my grandfather did. And you just see, there's a history of life-dominating sins that are passed on from generation to generation. And singing a really good spiritual song may give you hope that God will set you free from those things, but the song itself won't do it. What God wants us to do is see the fruit, see what's actually operating in our lives, understand where it came from, and then interact with God so God can do what only God can do to remove the lid. Okay, So we're going to talk about There's at least five different sources of a curse. Five different sources of a lid. One is generational. In Exodus chapter 34, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. It just blows my mind. You know, you tell a guy, man, you really shouldn't do that. Man, it's just about me. I'm, just, you know, I really shouldn't do it, but God loves me. Wait a second, don't you see that when you do this, the people that you say you love are going to be affected by that. Your wife's going to be affected by that. Your kids, your grandbabies, your great ba- can be affected by what you do. When there's an untouched propensity to sin. When I say untouched, I mean untouched. Look, Jesus had to die for everybody here, even Pastor Willie, which I can't believe. I mean, he's he's the nicest guy, really one of the nicest men I've ever met. But Jesus had to die even for him. This is not, let's talk about sin in such a way that we're surprised and horrified. Uh Uh-uh. Let's talk about sin and what God wants to do with it. When there's an untouched propensity to sin, it's handed down to um, through our spheres of influence. Again, Fre- Freemasonry is, in the, especially in the southeast, is a big deal. You probably know a lot of people who are involved in Fre- Freemasonry. Good people, upstanding people. They even go to church, right? But you know what drives them? Being good enough. It is one of the deeply, most, most deeply demonic legalisms. That I've known, I've ministered to people who, no matter what they do, they never feel good enough, and I'll ask the question, were you involved in Freemasonry, or were your father? And they'll go, why, yes, my dad. Well, did you know? No, I didn't know that. Oh, so that lid over my life was given to me by my dad? Yeah. And then the guy, I remember this one guy, Brian, he, he was so mad. Oh, my dad. I said, see, you know how you get free of that lid? Forgive your dad. Give your dad for handing that spiritual atmosphere over to you. Uh, False religions, witchcraft, pornography and adultery. um, Bitterness, how people handle bitterness, gets handed down from generation to generation to generation. If your kids hear you always talking about what so-and-so did, and just, oh, right, guess what? They'll, they'll watch that, and that. So that's how you deal with someone who is mean to you. And without you knowing it, you've just passed on something to the next generation. Instead of dealing with it the way God wants you to deal with it, deal with it in your own way, and it releases something into the next generation. So that's pretty clear, okay? Listen, there are things that have been handed down to us which we had nothing to do with, but it just sort of got released into our hard drive. And, and we're fighting against something, and we don't even know what it is, and we go, oh, that's right. I have these generational things that have been passed on. Now, you can feel bad about that, or you can go, dang, I now have an idea of why I might be the way I am. I wonder how God wants to take that lid off. Then there are curses of consequence that have nothing to do with generational stuff. It has to do with what we do. There are things that we do unintentionally that bring things on us, put lids in our lives that we wouldn't even think about. Curses of consequence, for example. The images of their gods you are to burn in the fire. Do not cover covet the silver and gold on them. Don't take it for yourselves or you'll be ensnared by it for it is detestable to the Lord. Do not bring a detestable thing into your house or you, like it, will be set apart for destruction. Utterly abhorred and detested for it is set apart for destruction. Look, I don't want to get all religious here. But there, there are some things that we can bring into our home that are like lightning rods for the demonic. One would be idols. Just want to, Really, if you go, goodbye honey, goodbye kids, and as you go out, you, you go, praise the Lord and rub Buddha's belly. You don't want to do that. Just a dumb idea. Just saying. Or you go, okay, I'm going to call Ben Goodman. I need a prophetic word. I'm going to get my pastor, right? And he's going to give me counsel. I'll read the words, see what God says. And when I'm all done, I'm going to go and get my palm read. Not a good idea. Right? I mean, people do this. And I'm not calling them stupid. It's just what people do. And and it's unintentional. They're hungry for the truth. But I'm telling you, when when, when we engage in certain things, it opens up doors. There are some people who have, I think, I think maybe God thinks, um, an inc- incredible fascination with horror movies where, where you get desensitized to evil. And even evil gets sensationalized. Now, it's a thrill. It's an adrenaline rush. But some horror shows are just really that bad. Witchcraft. Witchcraft. Um, Oh, I don't want to sound all religious and everything. But, you know, there's some things about Halloween, not a good idea. You know, I said, I mean, I don't want to dress up my girl as some sort of witch or, or as a sex kitten or something. I don't want to do that because it opens up things into her life. Now, as a church, we don't sit there and go, ooh, ha- Halloween bad, and we're just going to, you know, close ourselves off. We've got to figure out ways to, to make Jesus real in the middle of that darkness, right? But we don't have to get dressed up as Batman to do it. Um, there's some people who are Christians who are absolutely way too fascinated with demons. Really, it's a, it's a trick of the devil. That when we oh must be a demon, and you're always doing this this. This, this, you know, Holy Spirit ninja warfare thing. There's a demon here, you know, and then the, you know, everything's a devil. Guess what? You will become what you focus on. And it's just a trick. So when you have people who are just always looking to what's wrong, looking for the devil and all that, you know, we need discernment. But I'm telling you that when we focus on what the devil's doing more than we focus on what the Lord's doing, it opens us up to deception and lids in our lives there are occult curses this is in Isaiah 8 when men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter should not a people inquire their God why consult the dead on behalf of the living to the law, to the testimony, to the word of God if they do not speak according to this word they have no light of dawn let me stop there for a second People are are built by God to have a spiritual hunger. We're all, I mean, um, where you get that hunger satisfied, that's the issue. If you notice, there are people—you know—they're Christians, they're born again, they go to church, but they consult mediums, they, they they do these other things, or they used to do it, but they didn't get that touched by God, and after a while. The Bible doesn't speak to them anymore. They have no light of dawn. There's no revelation that comes from their time in Scripture. And many times it's because of either what people have have been doing in their lives or what they have done in their lives, but they have not allowed God to, to address it. It sort of gets in the way of their spiritual eyesight. They have no light of dawn but it gets worse. Distressed and hungry, they'll roam through the land. When they're famished, they'll become enraged. And looking upward, they'll curse their king and their God. Listen, I know so many people. They just, you know, dabbled in this or allowed that into their life. And they go to church, but they can never get settled. They're always restless. They go from one church to the other. They, they, they really can't find a home. And it's because there's an unresolved thing in their life. And, and it's not because they're rebellious or anything. It's just an unresolved thing. And then after a while, they get dissatisfied. Because when you're homeless for a while, you get a little ticked off. You get isolated. You don't feel good about people yourself. And then you start getting mad at God. I mean, there it is. You play in these areas, have them unresolved. You're restless and you're searching. Nothing ever satisfied. Then you end up cursing God. You, you end up getting mad at God. And then it gets worse. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful and gloom. Listen, there's a lot of bad things in this world, and I'm not going to pretend it's not there. And I'm not going to get into this, well, praise God, God's in control, and everything will be fine in the end. I know God's in control. I know things will be fine in the end. But in the middle of it, things are pretty nasty out there, all right? But I don't focus primarily on the nasty. If all I do is focus on the nasty, I will be gloomy and angry. You want to find a religious person? Ask them, so what's God doing in the world? And it's as if they haven't even heard that question. They just talk about how bad the politicians are, how bad this is, how bad this, and I'm just going, oh. I mean, the diagnosis is so clear. You have an unresolved issue where you can only see the negative instead of also seeing what God is doing in the middle of darkness. It's just an amazing thing. Ouija boards, horoscopes, going to psychics, these role-playing games, tarot cards, some computer games, fortune cookies, which I believe are prophecies from hell. Sorry. <laughs> no, there are thi- look, when I was like in fourth or fifth grade, you know, a bunch of us got together in my friend's basement, and we decided to do a seance because we saw it in a movie. We had no idea what we were doing. And so we, oh, yeah, yeah, and we're doing all this. And we're calling on the spirits of the world, right? And oh, all of a sudden the shades started going like this. And, you know, a couple of lights came on, scared the out of it. It was amazing, you know. But, and we, oh, wow, we, we touched something real. Let's not do that again. As a Christian, you know, I was struggling with something and I started praying. The Lord brought that to remembrance. I went, huh. Lord, I didn't know what I was doing, but ignorance is no excuse. I was speeding. Lord, please forgive me. I renounce that in the name of Jesus. And I've never had that particular problem that I was wrestling with. It was gone. That lid was gone. Because there was this untouched thing that I had done. Then there are pronounced curses. These are, we all know that words have power. Uh, we should know this by just looking at Genesis 1. When the earth was formless and void, you know how God started fixing the problem? And the Lord said. I mean, in that respect, we are very much made in the likeness of God. Our words will have power. Every word. I mean, when we stand before Jesus, he's going to talk to us about every word we spoke, even the careless ones. So words have power. They can either bring life, or they can bring death. I know this one guy. He and his wife, they had nice marriage, they loved each other, but the guy just loved sort of poking fun at his wife at public gatherings. Just poke, 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 poke. Yeah, she cooks well, you know, and I've survived most of her meals. Ha, 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 you know, all that sort of stuff. And finally I said, buddy, do you notice that little, I mean, how much of your wife do you want? I want all of her. Well, every time you do that, a little bit more of her just closes up. And he said, what? Oh, yeah, your words have power. Oh, I was only kidding. You may have been only kidding, but those words went, and just closed her up. Anyway, get the idea. There are words that are spoken by others over us. Be attentive here because we're going to deal with this. Many of you have heard words like, you'll never make it. I wish I'd had a son. Or you better be pretty, honey, because you ain't got no smarts. You know, those sorts of things. Uh, the, the, the words that have been spoken over us. And I'm telling you, with the Holy Spirit is reminding you of something, write it down. Some of you are also going, oh, some of the things I've said to my spouse, some of the things i said to my kids, i released a curse. Yes, you did. You probably did but what, what have people said over you? Then there are things that we say over ourselves. I'll tell you a story. I was going through, a it was the toughest time of my life. And uh, I could be hard on myself. I'm, I'm a high D, you know, performance oriented. And um, I'm with my pastor. This is a long time ago. And he pointed out something. I go, oh, I'm I'm so stupid. I said that. I'm just stupid. And the gentlest guy I've ever met, he leans over his desk, slams his hands on the desk, says, are you stupid? I was just so surprised. And he goes, does God think you're stupid? No. Are you stupid? No. Then why are you calling yourself stupid? You may have done a stupid thing. And I'm, I'm feeling like, you know, he's spanking me like I'm a little kid, but I needed it. He goes, You are speaking stupidity in your life. And I, he goes, I guarantee you will rise to your label. And I went, oh. and I tried to be funny and go, Oh, I'm so stupid. I, anyway, there are things that we say over ourselves. Look, look what Scripture says. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community, grumble against me. I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. How many times has a leader said, okay, look, let's go do something. Let's go try this. And you go, it'll never work. And you haven't even thought about it. You haven't even, or your spouse goes, hey, let's try this. Uh, It'll never work. Where, Where does the it'll never work come from? You say it'll never work. Guess what? It won't work. I'm not saying if you go, it'll work, it means it'll work. But there's some things we say over ourselves. Or you go, oh man, nobody's going to love me. Guess what? After a while, you will will project what you say about yourself. So be very attentive. Let the Holy Spirit... What things have people said about me and what things do I say about... Look... I'm 58 years old, and somebody, hey, old man, and I almost started doing, yeah, well, I'm just getting a little older, and all of a sudden I went, wait a second, Uh uh-uh, and it's not totally that I'm in denial that I'm getting older, (laughs) not totally, but I love developing people, I love developing younger people, and younger people is anybody younger than me, and I just love doing it, and I have found this out that the older generation has been convinced that their primary job is to encourage the next generation. That's not true. I mean, the younger generation needs that, but the younger generation needs people to run after. They just do. And I love taking young guys on trips, and they think they're all that. They go, yeah, well, we're going to be prophesying for eight hours straight. What? Yeah, that's right, just a little... Just get a little Gatorade and you'll be fine. Now, of course, my body is screaming, but I don't let them know that. (laughs) Right? Why? Because I'm going to run in such a way that they feel they have someone to run after. Right? I'm not just going to be an encourager. I'm going to try to be an example. I mean, you know, the older you get, the younger ones are looking. They are. I've seen some, some older guys who go, well, I... I don't need any of them smartphones and all that sort of stuff. Okay, great. Then you're saying you don't want to um, interact and connect with the younger generation because they're going to do it by, by this and that. You know, though we're older, doesn't mean we all have to wear skinny jeans. <laughs> you know, but you know what I'm saying. So, I mean, I really had to face myself. I am getting older, but... I'm, I'm going to act as young as God will let me. And it's made a difference in my life, made a difference in my wife's life. And m- m- really, she's sort of happy that I'm all happy with myself. <laughs> all right. Galatians 6, verses 7 through 8 is so important. It's a law, it's not a principle. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man or a woman reaps what he's uh, he or she sows the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap distru- distru- uh, destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will uh, reap eternal life. What we say always has consequences, especially about ourselves. Now things that are spoken by us over others, which also produces lives in our lives. Matthew chapter five I 'm sure you 've read this. Jesus said, You've heard it said to people long ago, Don't murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Well, that's true. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. That's a condition of the heart. Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, that's not a nice thing to call someone, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus sitting there going, Wait a second, you don't understand this. Wait, the words you say can have either positive or negative consequences. And if you say hellish words, you should pay attention to that. I'm not saying you're losing your salvation, but I'm just saying you say hellish words and don't get that dealt with by God, that produces something in your life. In Psalm 109, this is David offering a prayer to God. This isn't a particularly Christian prayer, okay? but I want you to see, I'm going to land somewhere and you'll see a principle. He's praying over concerning a guy who's really done him wrong. I just encourage you don't ever cross a Jewish king. Because how he's going to pray is just not going to be good for you. Oh God, appoint a wicked man over him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer become sin. Oh, what a prayer. Let God, that guy who hurt me, let his prayer become like sin to you. Let his days be few. Let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless. And his wife a widow. Let his children wander about and beg. Let them seek sustenance far from their ruined homes. He's mad. The boy's mad. Let the creditor seize all he has. And let strangers plunder the product of his labor. Let there be none to extend loving kindness to him, nor any to be gracious to his fatherless children. Wow. We're supposed to forgive our enemies. But anyway, let his posterity be cut off. In a following generation, let their name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. And do not let the sin of his mother be blotted out. He's going after his mother. (laughs) Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may be cut off from the memory of the earth. Now watch this. Remember, God, that he did not remember to show loving kindness, but he persecuted the afflicted and needy man and the despondent in heart to put them to death. He also loved cursing, so it came to him. That's the sewing. in He also liked speaking death and limitation to people, and so it came to him. And he did not delight in blessing, so it was far from him. But he clothed himself with cursing as with his garment. How we talk about people. To their face and when they're not around has impact on our own lives. If you do the gossip thing, always cutting on people, I guarantee people will be talking about you. Or at the very least, you'll always be afraid of what people might be saying about you. It's such an amazing thing. There's some, when, we, when we speak limitation or curse or criticism and all that, we're sowing into our own lives. So, that's where curses come from. What do you do with it? I just want you to see this. God shows us the source of curses. He shows us some symptoms. And he doesn't do it just so we have a greater understanding of how depraved we are and how much trouble we're in. God shows these things so that we might be more willing to deal with these things in his way. Scripture says he does all things well. Here's how you take steps to freedom from curses. Just for the heck of it. Anybody, anybody have any lids? Come on. Anybody have a lid? There's only so. so for, for most of you, I've been sharing this so you can help some other person, right? <laughs> First is confess, agree, talk to God, say, God, this is a lid, I believe this is a lid. Confess the revealed sin, your own sins, and the sins of your forefathers, your, your ancestors, maybe your parents, your grandparents, or maybe you have adoptive parents, and you go, man, maybe they... Okay? Then forgive anyone involved in any of these sins. If you had a da- daddy who was involved in adultery and he, beat, and he beat your mama, and you saw that and you found that propensity, before you even begin to change, you go, Lord Jesus... I forgive my father for, for doing things that opened up things in my life that I didn't even want, I didn't even ask for. In the name of Jesus, I forgive him. I ask that you bless him. And God, as for me, I renounce that pattern that was handed down to me. That's what you do. Of course, and forgive me for repeating that thing, but we want to break the power of what was handed down to you renounce any and all connections with the occult or other demonic realms of practices. If you know people in your family, you know, did voodoo and all that sort of stuff, and you did, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I forgive them. God, and if they're alive, would you please forgive them? And God, those practices, I said thus far, no uh, further. I renounce those things in the name of Jesus. I choose never to have any any part in that. God, I want to know your ways, not the ways of the enemy. Just renounce. Now, here's the thing. That lid that you have, Jesus made provision for it. That lid is attached to you. I want you to get the picture. When you ask for forgiveness for what you've done, when you forgive others for what they've handed to you, what you're doing is you're sort of cutting the adhesions. right? And when you've done that, then you're in a place to transfer the curse to where it belongs See Jesus, See this lid? It's now yours. This lid is now yours. I've done my part. Now it's yours. And what he does, he will take the curse, and then he will bless you. In the place where you have had a lid, the Lord Jesus will teach you how to follow him in such a way where you will experience increasing blessing in the place where there's been a lid. You may have to learn a few new tricks, do things differently than you used to. may have to hold on to your tongue just a little bit more than you had before. But that's okay. Here's, oh, by the way, here's something about the tongue. Isn't it a killer how God will tell us what he wants us to do and then he says, you know, you all can't do it. God says, you know, if you really want to be mature, if you really want to be mature, this is in James, control your tongue. And then a couple of verses down, he goes, but no man can control the tongue. Think about that. What are you going to do with that? God, I want to be a mature Christian, fruitful and all that. Okay, I'll control my tongue. You're saying I can't control my tongue. Thank you, God. You may not be able to control your tongue. Holy Spirit can. I was at an Assembly God church in Hammond, Indiana. Great church. Absolutely wonderful church. Everything's moving. But they had that background communication system that churches have. Everybody goes, praise God, love you, brother. And then, you know, it's sort of like a gossip column behind. And it was my first time there, and I just realized what was going on. So we had this little time of ministry. And I closed my eyes, and I had this picture. You know? Um, so I said, look, I really believe God wants us to bring our tongues to the altar. Right? Because, and you saw these people going, "Ooh, you know, dirty carpet. I mean, <laughs> That's what they were thinking. I go, no, 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 listen. And I, I, I shared what I, what I saw. And they went, Oh, yeah, that's how we do things. We play church and then we talk about it afterwards in different ways. I go, why don't we all just surrender our tongue to the Holy Spirit? So the music started playing. And so everybody close your eyes. Any of you have a t- t- uh, tough time controlling your tongue? It says, raise our hands and our tongues to the Lord. Over 300 people, because I checked. I did that. I, I looked, <laughs> and it it, it, stop, it started the process of stopping gossip, removing the lid for that from that church. It was an amazing thing. Anyway, so that's all you got to do. Y'all want to do that for about 10-15 minutes? All right. On your mark, get set, find a place. Go, just go find a place so we can do business with God. You don't have to sit next to someone. We want to transfer those lids to you, and we want to do it your way. Lord Jesus, would you show us any generational curses? Any things that we're experiencing that we can look and go, oh, this may have been handed down. I mean, I've, I've even seen some men who just, they have they have seen weak men in their lives, and they thought to be a, a good man they had to be weak and, you know, not to lead. That in effect, they've seen emasculated examples and they just sort of allowed themselves to be emasculated. Or if there's just ways of dealing with things, any generational things. Even some ladies that, you know, their mama said, look, honey, you can't depend on men because you know how men are. You're just going to have to be tough. You're going to have to be mean. You have to do all this sort of stuff. And it's like, well, I guess that's what I have to do. But gosh, that's something that's just been passed down from generation to generation. So, Lord, would you identify any, any generational things that have been handed down to us? God, if there's any, any curses of consequence where we've been involved in idolatry, it's you know, horror shows, um, just things that we know supernaturally are not from you. We've been involved in Ouija boards and horoscopes, gone to psychics. If we still in, are involved in superstition. You know, don't, don't, don't walk under that ladder. If, if, we, if we have been or are currently involved in ter- tarot cards, Freemasonry, ungodly computer games, just stuff like that, even shows, even shows that bring ungodly things into our home. Lord, would you show those things, because those things are creating lids in our lives. Lord God, I ask that you'd help us just be be clear about those things that people have said to us, hurtful things, Some, some that they meant, some that they didn't even know were hurtful. And God, I ask that you would show us some of the things we say about ourselves, God, I ask that you would show us how we have spoken to others and how we have spoken about others. Would you please show that, God? Show us where we have used our tongue not to bring life, but to bring death. There's no condemnation, God. You're just showing us where we have, maybe even unintentionally, just created lids in other people's lives and thereby putting lids in our own lives. Lord, would you show us where we have gossiped? Where we have listened to and believed accusation and talked about it before we got all the facts. Where we have talked poorly about our leaders instead of praying for them. spend a few minutes just getting clear on these things and then as they say just do business with God where you go God my father did this I believe he opened the door here Lord I forgive him forgive me for perpetuating it in the name of Jesus I say thus far no more I renounce it God this lid I give to you And God I choose for you to build something new, to bless me in a place where a lid has been um, dominating my life. Pay special attention to what people have said to you and just say, Lord, I forgive them for what they said to me. I forgive them. Forgive me for, for believing those things. Forgive me for living out those things that other people said. Man... There's some young ladies, they, they do some dumb things when they're young, and then it gets out that they you know gave themselves over in an ungodly way. And then, it, you know, well, they're, they're trash, they're a whore, they're, they're easy, they're loose. And it, it wasn't true, they just did something stupid one night. But because of the reputation, because of what people, someone said, well, I might as well live up to what everybody thinks. Lord, would you show us how to forgive those who have said things about us that were just not true? And would you help... God, would you forgive us for living in accordance with those things? God, show us how we have spoken to and about people in a way that didn't bring life. We ask now that, God, when we've spoken bad to or about other people, we stand now, we say, God, would you heal those that we have hurt? Would you make up for what we've taken from them by our words? But as for us, God, we, we, ask, for a, we ask for mercy, and uh, you would just turn it around, that you would forgive us for how we have spoken to and about people. we have given over we have forgiven those who have passed on stuff to us we have forgiven them and we have asked for your forgiveness for our continuation of those things God we have asked for forgiveness for how we have spoken about ourselves we have asked for forgiveness for how we have spoken to and about others much as we know we have forgiven those who passed on stuff to us provided models for us that were just ungodly we have forgiven them and God we have forgiven those who have spoken words of death over our lives that's a good place to be we have loosened the hold of those lids in our lives so Lord by faith because we've done things your way, by faith we can say, Lord, see these lids? They're now yours. They are now yours. And in the place of those lids, I proclaim the blessing of God. In the place of those lids, I proclaim, I release the blessing and the life and the hope and the freedom of God. You are free to build new things where the enemy has just said no construction zone. In the name of Jesus, we bless you. We bless those areas which have been under those curses. We bless them. We speak the favor of God, the life of God, the supernatural life of God. That is what we plant into that ground that has been made dry by those lids.